0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. On today's show, we speak to Qin Chen, Managing Editor at TechNode, one of the leading media sources on China's technology and startup scene. Chin previously worked as a reporter at the South China Morning Post's Inkstone, and prior to that, worked in the United States as a senior video producer at The New Yorker and a documentary producer at CNBC. In our conversation with Chin, we discuss Chin's career trajectory, her role at Technode, and the state of journalism and media on both sides of the ocean. We talk about the growth of the Chinese EV automakers and the competitive landscape of the electric vehicle industry in China. We also discuss generative AI, call out some of the most notable startups in China, and explore the raging e-commerce battles taking place as the varying platforms seem to have no hesitation in exploring each other's core verticals. Enjoy.
1: I would say the current landscape of e-commerce, it's brutal. And honestly, I have a lot of sympathies for people working in that industry because it's basically a game of everyone trying to be like everyone. We're talking about five years ago. Every app has its own distinctive nature and and their own advantages. But now, right now, it's like everyone is trying to take the playbook of other people. And... and (laughs) and trying to outdo it right now like the e-commerce is the worst of the vertical infringing trend where everyone is trying to do everything
0: brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Chin, welcome to The Negotiation Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Todd.
0: Now, some of you may or may not remember, if you've been a long-time listener, I think a few years ago, we actually interviewed the founder of TechNode, Gong Lu. but it has been some time. Uh, TechNode always at the forefront of reporting on all things tech startup and otherwise uh, in China and in Asia. So it's really exciting to have somebody come back after such a long period. We're really thrilled to have you. First of all, why don't you tell us, where are we recording you from today? I'm
1: in Shanghai currently, and that's where uh, Techno headquarters is. Uh, And I moved back to Shanghai two years ago after spending in Beijing for three years. And before that, I was in the U.S.
0: Okay, yeah. So let's dive into that. Tell us, what is that kind of career trajectory that you've had and where you've lived that has led you to the role of managing editor at Techno?
1: Honestly, it's uh, just the flow of event. Uh, you can't really plan on those things. I, I would say I'm a content creator and a strategist uh, and started in media and also have worked in the media industry for nine years. Five of those are in the U.S. and four of those are in China. So. Uh, I started more as a video journalist, so I did. I, I worked as a video producer for CNBC, and and then uh, shortly for the New Yorker magazine's video team. Um, and then after that, I, I I really thought about coming back to China and transitioning more to a writing role, uh, and and that's that's what I did. So. Back in 2019, I joined SCMP, the South China Morning Post, uh, covering China's societal and current affair for their startup uh, news app called Inkstone. Um, And then after that, um, uh, I I felt this this feeling that I wanted to concentrate on one area uh, instead of looking at a broad range of things because at SCMP, a general news, and also at all the other places that I've worked before, you've also have to follow policy economics, uh, businesses, just a lot of things. And I want to focus on one, maybe one or two, two things. Um, and that's when, you know, techno jumps out, that opportunity came, uh, and I felt it was a good way for me to focus on tech uh, look, looking at uh, looking at the society through the lens of tech. And I like that focus. So uh, so, yeah, that that that's where where I am now managing a small group of reporters covering China's tech industry.
0: Is it fair to say TechNode is an independent?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And you know, just before we began, I was telling you how long I've known Gong Lu, how much I love Gong and appreciate him as just one of the most true people that I've ever had the pleasure of knowing in my life. Um, He's such a great guy. And as you were talking about traveling through and, and especially with being South China Morning Post, I wanted to ask you something off the, at the beginning about the state of journalism about because I find you know, politics has a way of bringing media very much to the forefront. It's in the limelight. You've you've done it in the U.S. and now you've done it in in China, two of the hottest places where media is talked about. Um, and I, I think globally, it is under. The gun a little bit right now we see a lot with the social medias i know that uh canada and australia trying to make uh the the tech giants like uh facebook pay when they link to the you know stuff going on there's it's just always there now it's always there so big broad overarching question of what are your thoughts on journalism and media in the world today
1: um, gosh, that's it's a big one, big, big one. Um, look, I think, um, journalism and media has become very, very different in the last two decades. Um, partly thanks to, to the internet and, and all all of the apps and all of the mobile, mobile revolution that we're seeing now. Um, one thing I'm, I'm i I would say is we're looking at a, we're living in an age where media um, and journalism are increasingly become two different things. People consume a lot of media, but uh, very few of them are made with a journalistic mind. Because a lot of the social media, a lot of the influencers, they not studied a. Uh, um, an ounce of what journalism or news came before them. I'm not saying that anyone that does news need to study, but it, you know there is a way of uh, producing very, very uh, objective facts. Um, there, there, there is a system of doing that. Um, and, and a lot of the media that we consume these days just aren't made with that mind. Um, and I think that's going to be a trend uh, continuing on. So I would say the media businesses has been um, pretty much revolutionized by by Facebook, by Google, by all of the big content heavy uh, internet giants. Uh, The business model that worked before two decades ago doesn't work anymore. The ads revenue is not there anymore Uh, and I think the media business have not figured out how to replace the lost ad revenue. Um, So now you're seeing, um, basically, I would say the tech giants had the tech, um, and the media giants had the content. And now the two of them aren't really living very well together, uh, and most of the good content aren't really getting to the public. Uh, The public are getting a lot of content because the tech media are very good at delivering those content. Uh, But those content might not be the best uh, for the public interest. And right now, I think the society hasn't figured out a way to bring the best of the both worlds. Like I hope uh, on TikTok or on Facebook or or on YouTube, uh, people can get like New York Times quality stuff. Um, but we all know that's, um, uh, people aren't really looking for that and, and they, they, their taste has varied too. So, so that, I mean, that's the age we're living in and then we just have to navigate that.
0: Yeah. It must be interesting times in your, uh, world and, and kind of as you've grown up and, and spent the last eight years and doing everything that you do, um, uh, navigating it, um, yeah. It can be it can be really exciting as well. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there as well. So, all right, let's switch gears. Thank you very much for jumping on that question uh, and and handling it so so uh, deftly. Um, I really appreciate that. I kind of threw that one at you, and uh, it just was inspired to talk to somebody in media journalism about. I think it's a very interesting question to hear people in the industry um, who are true journalists to talk about that. So thank you very much for taking that on. Um, I want to switch gears into talking about Chinese automakers, as we know, um, they've really started to grow. bordering on exploding. Um, it's It's been an unbelievable run lately for Chinese automakers. I'd like to ask you, what do you think the factors are that explain that amazing growth of Chinese automakers?
1: I think three things. Uh, first, government planning. And second, technological breakthroughs. And third um, is incentives. So I'll I'll explain probably backwards. I'll start with incentives. Uh, China has a very, very strong incentives to develop its own auto industry. Because if we're talking about um, uh, the gas car era, the Chinese automakers aren't, uh, just not on the same competitive level compared to all the foreign brands. Even in China, people would, always preferred to buy foreign brands over domestic brands and that has been the case uh until EV so you know China has uh, incentives to take on uh a paradigm shift and, and to build up its own auto auto industry if if it saw a chance uh, and that kind of brings us to kind of the second reason it, it does saw a chance uh, I think over the last decade or two uh, it saw the t- technological breakthrough in the electrical system it saw how powerful batteries now can be and how electromotors can be more efficient Um, So, all of these things and and battery chemistries and designs, um, the Chinese government have looked at those things and and thought, like, yeah, we are maybe on the forefront. Uh, We're at an era where the tech advancement has allowed uh, this very, very established traditional industry to have some new uh, revolution of players. So, um, and the third one, obviously, government planning. Um, I, I was looking at the data and, and, uh, and, and looking at the documents. I was a little surprised that, you know, China actually planned uh, very, very um, early on To make this transition. So, all the way back to 2012, uh, the government has released planning to development of EV and and energy saving vehicles. Uh, They've laid out very specific targets um, and they said that we want to hit um, uh, a certain number of EVs. Um, we, We want, they, sorry, I'm gonna do that one more time. Yeah. um, So I was very surprised to see that China has rolled out uh, a a very early on plan back in 2012. Uh, They said from 2012 to 2020, uh, they're planning to development of energy saving and new energy vehicle uh, automotive industry. And they set out very specific targets. Um, So, some of them are like focusing on the main components of the electrical system and building battery tech and then building an uh, electrical charging grid. Those were all rolled out back in 2012. Um, Like, I was reading it and I was surprised to see how relevant that is. a decade ago. So this has been a long-term planning, uh, and and I think it, it probably shouldn't be surprised to see how things have came into fruition because the government really, really thought about it and, and want this to happen. And they've gave out a lot of tax incentives as well, a lot of uh, ca- cash incentives, and and helping uh, the industry to make that transition. So. Um, yeah, I think it's just a culmination of good timing and, and long-term planning um, at, at this time when the technology is ready.
0: Yeah, I've always been fascinated by China's foresight um, and ability when they see almost the line is too long um, to get involved in something they just go and find out where's the next line going to start and they go get first in line somewhere else. And I mean, we've, we, we've seen it in, in AI, we've seen it in EV, we've seen it in, in banking. Um, Really. I mean, how long would it take to overhaul China's banking system to be able to be like it is in North America or Europe, to be able to have everybody has credit scores and online, you know, and, and just the way that everybody expects. So they, They didn't bother. They just go, well, let's just do online internet banks and uh, just start, you know, and just start fresh and get out in front of everybody else in something else, rather than try to catch up to something that is so established. And I think the EV sector is no different. So uh, what is your overall outlook for the future of the EV sector in China? And then maybe if I could ask you, what are some of the companies in particular that we need to be paying attention to?
1: I think the consensus that we're having now is we're going to see a consolidation phase. Uh, Right now, obviously, we have a lot of different EV companies, maybe 20 um, to be relevant in in every every monthly charts. Um, But I think over the next couple of years, uh, we're definitely going to see a very competitive phase uh, because auto industry is a business of scale. Uh, If you doesn't reach a certain level of market market share, uh, you're not going to be keep burning cashes. So so I think less competitive companies might be eliminated during the process. Uh, It might be too soon to call who those companies will be. Uh, we'll, We'll just have to see.
0: Who are the big ones? Right now. I mean, we've talked about it a couple of times before. We know Warren Buffett and BYD. OK, I mean, that's been in the news for, I don't know, six, seven years now. Um, but who are the big electric vehicle companies Uh you just like the top three maybe uh, so far in China? And you don't have to get it right. Maybe just pick your favorite.
1: Well, in terms of sale number BYD um, and GAX ION, A-I-O-N, it belongs to a kind of state-owned joint venture car company based in in Guangzhou. So uh, these two are probably on top of the sale, uh, mostly sales chart. Um, And then, you know, Tesla China is also uh, always the stable there. Um, and, and then obviously we have the, the U S trail, the, the Neo, the x uh, and the Liotto. uh, those three EV startups have, uh, listed in the U S, uh, and they've always been s- sort of talked together, uh, during the past couple of years, um, to at as the, the, the disruptors, so to speak. So, you know, those are, those are the companies that have the limelight for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's 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 so many out there now and I, I love it. I think it's amazing. Um I'm just worried about where we're going to get all the electricity soon uh or where neighborhoods are going to be able to be able to provide it without taking down the entire grid overnight. Um I know here in Canada we've got other companies like Polestar. Um there's another company that I kind of uh, I'm a bit of a fanboy of Riv- uh, Rivian. Um I like this the look and, and design and functionality of their vehicles a lot. So so that's really cool. Um, now, also, big tech companies are getting into uh, the EV game as well. How do big tech companies get involved in electric vehicles? And how do you view that trend going forward?
1: Um, before I get to that question, can I add a little bit on the on the previous one? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I just want to mention a few kind of companies that uh, is probably a little bit under the radar and, and, uh, and, and people might not pay it as much attention to.
0: That'd be great, though, because, I mean, all of our China watchers and Asia watchers that listen to this show, that's exactly the stuff they're looking for. So, yeah, give us some of the unknowns or lesser knowns.
1: Uh, well, lesser knowns. Um, so th- those, those companies, they tend to price lower. Uh, and I would say they probably target rural China and may- or maybe like lower tier cities. So I, I, I consider them as maybe the potential Pinduoduo of mm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh One, one I already mentioned, the Ion, um, that one, and then Hozon, H-O-Z-O-N. Uh, that company makes very affordable uh, rate, like, kind of super fancy cars, like racing cars. Like they're very fancy. They sometimes have gold wings and they're priced uh, incredibly friendly. So I I would assume they attract uh, maybe young buyers in in lower tier cities. So you can spend probably like uh, 200,000 RMB on a sports car, like a fancy looking sports car, but it's EV, like a sports EV. So Hozon and Depot, D E P A L. Uh, that's also a subbrand that from that came from a joint venture state-owned uh, automaker. Uh, they that it, they, they also make like SUVs or smaller cars, but again, uh, very affordable and cheaper price. Uh, and then Uling is another one. They they make a uh, very very small car like like Smart. Uh, like two-door tiny cars, uh, that one has been uh, selling incredibly well uh, in, in smaller areas. So, so yeah, I, I would say pay attention to some of the lower-priced uh, EV makers. They may not have the best tech, uh, but in terms of market attraction, uh, they, they might surprise people.
0: So 200,000 rem and b these days. Are we still are we sitting around 35,000 US? What is just to put that in US dollar ex, uh, you know terms? Is it still about 6 to 1? 7 to 1. 7 to Seven 1 US? To one. Yeah. So okay. like well, about about
1: 30, 30,000
0: 30,000. Okay. Yeah,
1: for okay. for an EV sports car that looks that 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 can catch eyeballs
0: and has gullwing doors. I love that.
1: Uh, maybe not all, all of them have goals, but I know that some of them do.
0: So let's go and talk about the big tech companies getting involved. Big tech companies getting in on the EV game. How do they do it, and how do you do? How do you view that trend?
1: Yeah, um, I think honestly, it's very very logical to to have the big tech to get in on EVs. Um, because we're seeing a transition uh, in the Chinese tech giants, where they're transitioning from uh, making consumer-grade product or making consumer ser- uh, focusing on consumer services to a more industrialized uh, services. Uh, because we're looking at if we're looking at the big tech companies, Alibaba focuses on shopping, Tencent focuses on content, messaging, and gaming, and Baidu is on search. Uh, and AI, and Binance is on content and shopping again. Um, so a lot of those things, you know, they're they're two C, they're two customers. Um, but you know, everybody could see that uh, that that area, the growth has already reached into its ceiling. Um, uh, there will still be growth, but it just won't be that much and that that drastic, like what it was uh, back in uh, back in 2010. So it's natural for for these big companies to want to uh, get on the new growth point. Um, And and automotive, honestly, is one of the two brightest growth areas in China Um, probably in the past two, two, three years, um, especially last year. Um, So, you know, and I think out of all of the, the giants, Baidu and Huawei is probably much more involved uh, in the auto industry, uh, both are trying to offer software and uh, operating systems for for EVs. Um, and and Xiaomi, obviously the the smartphone maker, is trying to launch its own EV by twenty twenty four. So that that's probably the the most involved. Uh, out of all of them. Uh, the rest, I think Alibaba has its own sub brand trying to build uh, an, an auto operating system again. Um, and then, and also Alibaba and Tencent are heavily involved in investing in all of those uh, EV startups. They, they've definitely invested a lot of money in to, to fund those EV startups.
0: That's quite fascinating, at least to me, because I don't think that that is a trend. In North America, amongst the big tech giants, you would not hear of, you know, the Facebook Roadster uh, or, you know, uh, the Google SUV. Um, they seem to stay in their lane a little bit more. But in China, it seems they have no problem jumping in. And it's like, yeah, I mean, the the, the Xiaomi Gophar um, car or something. I mean, uh that's pretty interesting. Um, worth worth noting, um, I, I think, just that that is a very different uh, landscape and culture over there amongst the tech giants. Now um, we're going to switch gears again, uh, no pun intended, and talk about <laughs> generative AI. Okay, in China, um, it's everywhere. It's all over the socials now. They've all got their own Instagram accounts and their their own TikToks and. Um, it's pretty unbelievable what they're doing. Um, I'm surprised we're not talking more about chat GPT right now, but we're still talking about generative AI. What there's a few questions in here, so you may have to write these down, but I want to talk about the widespread applications of generative AI that you're seeing in your forecast for that space. And we'll keep it to two, one more. Who are the most significant players in generative AI in that area of the world?
1: The most widespread application, if we're talking about the Chinese alternatives right now, I think it's still we haven't seen like a, a popular Chinese uh, chatbot or AIGC app taking over in China as much as like OpenAI's Chat ChatGPT has been in the world. So I, I'd say, you know, ChatGPT mid-journey, that still takes uh, takes the reign um in in the people who are interested in AI and AIGC in China a lot of people still rely on those tools whether it's directly uh, whether they directly can access it or they uh, they access it through different ways because the access isn't always uh, very uh, very readily available in China uh, but there there are ways to get around it um, but On the flip side, um, AI and AIGC has been honestly the topic. to to talk and the topic to watch in China's tech industry since earlier this year, probably around uh, February, I think that the momentum really took off from there and hasn't slowed. Um, A a few things I would probably say is right now we're seeing mostly the Chinese tech giants uh, and, and some of the best educational institutions driving most of the conversation. So Baidu has released their uh, sort of the ChatGPT version uh, based on their own uh, big model called Ernie, E-R-N-I-E. and then, Tsinghua University has released their big model called GLM, uh, and those are uh, and, and Alibaba and uh, Tencent has also released their own version of, of big model. Uh, so so far, uh, most of the the big tech companies are are releasing their own models, and we're talking about. Uh, Probably a big model release every day, uh, but a lot of them are probably fine-tuned model based on open sourced uh, but they, they may not tell you as is. So I, I would say I, I consider, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fully uh, self-developed big model, probably those are right now only the games of, uh, of tech giants. Uh, other big models, you might see news uh, in Chinese tech industry every day, like so and so released a big model. Just take that with a grain of thought, uh because we, we can like we just wrapped up W A I C. Uh, there were like a hundred big models released during that period of time. Uh, the World AI Conference that was held um, last week in Shanghai. So so yeah, the big model fever is. Is here and, and it's probably going to be uh, that that popular for a couple of months. Um, so, but pay attention to the big big giants, but also pay attention to some some of the startups. So, Kai Fu Lee um, have launched his own startup to to do AI. He hasn't give too much. E- uh, details on what he will do, but I will definitely pay close attention to what Kai Fu Lee offers. Uh, and Jia Yang Ting, uh, who uh, have worked in Alibaba Cloud and also was very influential to Cafe, which is a deep learning framework um, that. Um, and, and he also worked in AI division in, for Facebook before he joined Alibaba. So he has left Alibaba a few months ago and started his own startups. So there are a ton of those examples. And I also think that some people from Bidance and Kwaisho are also leaving their companies, doing their own AI startups. So uh, those people I would also pay a close attention to. Because they may be bridging the gap between what the tech giants is offering, you know, the big models to the the end applications.
0: All right, thank you for that. Um, no offense, but ChatGPT GPT did write this list of questions. Um, I asked <laughs> it, uh, "What are the questions I should ask Chin Chen on a podcast?" And well, here we go. <laughs> Now, one of the trends that WPIC is observing is a competition between the e-commerce platforms. It's been raging for a little while. It's continuing to rage on now. Uh, And then new new players come over the horizon and join the battle every day. How do you assess the current competitive landscape of e-commerce? And who are the hot upstarts? And how is Alibaba handling all of these challenges and the war that is raging right now?
1: I would say the current landscape of e-commerce is um, it's brutal. Um, it's, it, it honestly, I I, I I have a lot of sympathies for people working in that industry um, because it's it's basically a game of everyone trying to be like everyone at this stage. Because if we're talking about five years ago. Every apps has its own distinctive uh, kind of nature and and their own advantages. Alibaba uh, is just this all around uh, platform, and then Jingdong is more like Amazon, where it does more uh, management and and it does its own logistics. And then uh, Pinduoduo is more on the lower priced uh, price point, and then there weren't really like Kuaishou or, or uh, Douyin, which is uh, the TikTok Chinese version. Uh, those players weren't there back then, uh, and, and and not 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 to mention like Meituan. Uh, Meituan is more I, I I would say it's more Yelp like. Oh, or not, not, not really. Like it's more, uh, it's more where you would just order food. It's for for daily like delivery, food delivery stuff. So you can see everyone has its own place. Um, but now, right now, it's like everyone is trying to take the playbook of other people and and
0: try, and trying to outdo it. I think we just talked about this. With uh, Xiaomi getting into electric vehicles, I mean, nobody is safe. No vertical is safe.
1: Yeah, the vertical uh, right now, like the e-commerce is the worst uh, of the vertical infringing trend uh, where uh, where like everyone is trying to do everything. So Meituan is trying to be a little bit more like Alibaba, where they offer just traditional uh, shop Uh, e-commerce like shopping uh, experiences outside of the the food delivery. So now you can buy groceries, you can buy all different kinds of things on Meituan if you want. Uh, And Jingdong is trying to be more like Pinduoduo where they just try to keep the price low. Um, uh, And then Alibaba is... Alibaba is trying to be. I would say it's trying to be a bit more content heavy. It's trying to take some playbook maybe from ByteDance and and Tencent, where it's building its own uh, content community uh, and trying to persuade people to spend more time on their app. Um, and 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 also like new players, so content players. We're talking about ByteDance, Douyin, and Xiao Xiaohongshu, uh, and then even Tencent's, WeChat's uh, video channel. All of those content places, apps, where people just used to watch just videos or just consume content has now become an e-commerce app where you can buy things while you uh, consume content. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, again, brutal.
0: I wanted to ask maybe on the topic of that big battle going on, there must be some winners. Uh, and we know that they're all going at it hardcore. But would you say that there's potentially some winners here? Are consumers winning? Are brands winning amidst the battles that are going on amongst the platforms?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the brands and the consumer uh, benefits. From them, um, because one a consumer now has a lot more choices to compare price from, uh, and they know there is an immense pressure to keep the price competitive because of players like Pinduoduo, uh, where they they just have a way of always keeping pretty competitive pricing, and that that adds pressure to to places like Jingdong and, and Alibaba. Um, and and also, I think uh, the the brands would love it because they have different ways of advertising now. Um, back in Ali, like Alibaba or Jingdong, it's mostly search based, right? Interest based. It's algorithm driven. Uh, it's not it's not as algorithm driven or as content driven as other platform. But now brands can also become their own kind of content marketer on different platforms. Uh, you can create your own content on Xiaohongshu. Uh, you can do very direct marketing on this and those are a lot of the a lot a lot of times um, those opportunities just aren't there until those new apps that come into the into
0: the realm. We do have one battle going on stateside, and that seems to be zuckerberg and musk um they are going at it pretty well and i know that you must still be paying attention uh to what's going on on the other side of the ocean can you tell me your thoughts on threads and what is threads why is everybody suddenly jumping on there is this zuckerberg just messing with twitter what is happening there
1: well, I think uh, th- there's two things. One, um, I, I Threads does a feel and, 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 and feel like a kind of younger version of Twitter. Um, and, and it's probably more catered towards Instagram users than previous Twitter users. So, so I, I'm seeing a generation gap. If you're a heavy Instagram users, you would love Threads. Because you, all of your friends that you used to interact with is already on there, and I, and you may not be as a heavy Twitter user before, because I think Instagram people are more visual um, than than Twitter people, so so all of a sudden you have a different platform uh, to to communicate and showcase. Um, but if you're a heavy Twitter user and you're more of a text based person. You might find it uh, a kind of a weird place because you don't know who those people you are following, and and you don't know why those those conversations are happening on your feeds. So so that I, I think there's a generation gap there. Uh, uh, maybe millennials and, and and Gen Z's likes uh like like likes threats more more than uh a more more older generation.
0: Well, to be honest, I. Did I never got on the Twitter train. I had to uh put a pin in the socials somewhere and draw the line and kinda that's 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 where I, I drew it and, and now threads I'm like poking around a little bit just to to see. It hasn't grabbed me yet, so Uh, We'll see. But again, thank you for taking that on. I appreciate that. I needed somebody to kind of call that out and uh, differentiate between those. To wrap up, let's talk a little bit about Meituan. A related trend is competition in the local life sciences uh, or local life services space. Meituan owned it, but now do they still? Are they losing their grip on that market?
1: I don't think so. Um, obviously, we're we're seeing Bidens uh, dipping their toe into it um, with with Doin, uh, but honestly, the life, uh, local life services is hard work, and it's pretty hard work. Um, you have to manage a fleet of delivery drivers, and you have to t- constantly manage the, the the mom and pop shops. Uh, those are just dirty works, and and. Not every company um, has the has the appetite to to manage those work and I and I think Midline is known for uh, willing to to do the dirty work and and to, to to thrive on the on the low profit margin. So so I think uh, we're we're seeing like uh, Biden's doing retreat from this sector recently. Uh, they've Announced that they will only they will focus more on food deliveries that's over a certain price price point. I think it's above sixty uh, RMB, which is less than 10, 10 bucks uh, which is a higher uh, on on a higher end for, for Chinese um, single meal expenditures um, so if you're spending uh, 60 RMB you're spending uh, spending quite quite a bit on the lunch so they're they're looking they're they're kind of leaving the smaller uh, smaller um, cheaper price to, to other, other apps. There's, they're more focused on higher, it's more expensive meals. So uh, that tells me that they are having trouble managing logistics, managing deliveries. uh, So they're trying to, to do less. So yeah, I think Meituan is still the king.
0: The barrier to entry has to be higher there than in a lot of other sectors Um, It's a lot to understand, build and manage and then the relationships um, and the culture. And it's I also think that the switching costs are really high to try to steal um, market share as well, because these are people that have spent a long time getting comfortable, uh, especially on the B side, that um, they're not going to be super excited about having to learn something new and given the the kind of revenue profit margin that you're playing in right there to actually what it would cost to have them overcome um the inertia to switch would be pretty huge maybe not worth paying for and it may not be worth so the pioneering costs were definitely worth it for meituan um and uh yeah they're going to be very hard to dethrone um, in in that space, so um, yeah, I I I I completely agree, um, and and I like your take on that. So to wrap this up, what if you had to pick one, what to you is the most exciting story in China tech right now?
1: I would say diversity. Diversity. Yeah, because uh, we're finally moving away from just this very focused on consumer internet. Uh, to this diversification of different areas of, of tech offerings. Uh, just, just then, we talked about EVs. Um, and, and behind EVs, we're, there's also a lot of actions that's happening to industry internet. So industrialized internet. So we're talking about SaaS uh, software as a service companies. We're talking about cloud computing uh, and AI um, so we're we're seeing that the Chinese tech industry are maturing to a degree where there's a lot of different subsectors, and each subsectors are very exciting, uh, and, and are developing. Uh, I think before five, five, 10 years ago, most people still just focused on uh, consumer tech companies. Um, so the shopping, the content, the gaming. And now outside of the shopping and content gaming, we're having a lot of, a, a, a wide basket of different companies that also offering business to business services and products. Um, and And some of them are more hard tech, uh, than the soft, soft tech that we're seeing. So, um, yeah, you can, you can just pick and choose your own subsector to watch now because there, there's plenty to watch in, in, in each field.
0: Chin Chen, managing editor at TechNode. Thank you very, very much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me
0: Todd. All right. For everybody who's listening to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, don't forget we have the video version over in the WPIC YouTube channel. And for those of you watching on the YouTube channel or watching the video wherever you're watching it, don't forget we have the podcast on all the podcast platforms. But for me and everybody who helps produce The Negotiation and for Chin Chen for being such a wonderful guest, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia.